Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. A lot of headlines in the criminal investigations into Donald Trump and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Now that Trump has been informed that he is a target of Jack Smith's investigation, what happens next? And what we've learned about those 16 fake electors in Michigan. We're going to bring you tomorrow's news tonight. Meanwhile, it appears that the judge in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case will not fast track the trial. So will it happen before the 2024 election? And the one and only Geraldo Rivera will be here tonight to talk politics, his exit from Fox, and why he says he'll use his energy to keep Donald Trump from becoming president again. I got the letter on Sunday night. Think of it. I don't think they've ever sent a letter on Sunday night. And they're in a rush because they want to interfere. It's interference with the election. It's election interference. Never been done like this in the history of our country, and it's a disgrace. Okay, but let's begin with tomorrow's news tonight. So Donald Trump announced, as you just heard, that he got this letter from the special prosecutor telling him that he is a target of the criminal investigation into election interference. Does that mean that Trump could be indicted again soon? Let's ask CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez. We also have with us James Schultz, a former Trump White House lawyer, Andrew McCabe, former FBI deputy director, and John Miller, CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst. Gentlemen, so great to have you here. Okay, Evan, uh, what happens now? Well, I think uh, we can expect an indictment. That's uh, what this letter signifies. This was a warning to the former president that he has until Thursday. He can come to the grand jury on Thursday here in Washington, D.C. If he wants to avail himself of that opportunity, he can do that, uh, present evidence. He can bring evidence with him. Uh, and if he doesn't, then the clock starts ticking. And so uh, we can expect that perhaps uh, as soon as Thursday, the grand jury could vote on an indictment of the former president. Uh, we do know, uh, Allison, that there uh, at least one other witness, perhaps a couple of witnesses, uh, might also be going to the grand jury, probably for very, very short stints. Uh, in one case, uh, you know, we know of somebody who's been in there a couple of times, he's going in for a third time. So at this point, everything seems perfunctory. Everything seems like this investigation is, is pretty much finished. And, the, and the, uh, the, the special counsel, Jack Smith, is ready to move ahead. And so now we wait. Okay, got it. John Miller, you have come across a lot of target letters in your career in law enforcement. How big of a deal is this? And do the target letters spell out the crimes that the recipient is being investigated for? So in general, yes. But the target letter is, it's not a legal requirement. It's not a a standard procedure. Target letter has a purpose. Uh, Sometimes prosecutors will use it to stir up the case by letting people know their targets and then see what happens next. That's a technique. Uh, but in this case, the target letter is coming at the near the end of the grand jury presentation to give the target notice that, hey, they're a target. Okay, guess what? We all knew Donald Trump was the target of this investigation. 
but to give him the opportunity, having formally been notified, to come in and testify. Would he come in and testify? Not likely, um, even if it was his desire. I think the lawyers he have, has right now, um, including Todd Blanche, would, would know his history of inconsistent statements uh, under oath that could get him in trouble. Uh, so this is a signal that they're rounding third base. Do I think we're going to see an indictment on Thursday if he doesn't show up? No. I think, as Evan um, hinted, the grand jury has a little cleanup work to do towards the end in that presentation, but I think it will be similar to what we saw in the documents case. Meaning it's like a three-week uh, time period between the target letter and an indictment? Most grand juries meet twice a week, um, and, you know, they get done what they can get done in that day. Uh, Jack Smith has been uh, very busy and efficient, so I would say, you know, let's put it in the 10-day arc, uh, longer or shorter. Okay. Uh, Jim, it's interesting to hear John say, you know, we all knew that he was a target because uh, our reporting, Caitlin Collins has the reporting, that this did catch the Trump team off guard, this target letter. Um, They were not expecting Jack Smith to bring charges this month or against Trump at all. How is that possible? You know, as you saw folks from the inner circle coming into the grand jury, being reportedly coming into the grand jury, you can see that this thing was coming to a close. And you can see that the target was likely Donald Trump. So I don't think there's any real surprise here that Donald Trump received the target letter and will likely be indicted in the 10 10 days or two weeks. Okay, so everybody's in agreement on that. Um, Andrew, will other people face charges? Is it possible that only Donald Trump is the target? You know, Allison, I guess it's possible, but I find it to be highly unlikely. When you think about the different charges that Trump may face if he's indicted, uh, almost all of them require the presence of others. You know, you talk about 371 uh, conspiracy to, to defraud the United States government. By definition, it, it's a conspiracy. It requires the presence of another uh, of another offender. Um, and, and the rest of the charges have similar have similar elements like that. We know from the from the evidence that we're all very familiar with from the work of the January 6th committee up through the, uh, the appearances of individuals in the, in the grand jury over the last several months, we know that um, these potential charges involve the, at least the folks who are closest to Donald Trump uh, in the lead up to January 6th and in the immediate aftermath. So people like John Eastman and Kenneth Cheesebro and Rudy Giuliani and others have been mentioned. So the idea that ultimately Trump will be indicted by himself seems highly unlikely to me, although as of today, we haven't heard about target letters landing on anybody else's desks. I would mention, however, though, the delivery of target letters is not uh, a requirement in the Department of Justice. It's certainly not a legal requirement. So there's no hard and fast rule that says anyone else has to get one. Evan, do you have any insight into this? Why Rudy Giuliani hasn't received a target letter? Yeah, no, we don't. We don't really have any insight. But as uh, as uh, Andy McCabe just pointed out, look, and a couple of a couple of people that we know have been at the center of this investigation, people like uh, 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 John Eastman, for instance, right, uh, who was stopped by the FBI, seized that uh, they seized his 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 telephone, uh, Jeffrey Clark, a former Justice Department official, again at the center of all of this, he got his home got raided. Uh, so th- that's pretty much a, 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 a notice from the Justice Department that you are the target of an investigation. So, uh, you know, I think for some of those folks, 
this is not necessarily a surprise that they are at the center of this. Rudy Julian is a different one. He just went in for, uh, for a couple of days of testimony. We don't know what he said. Uh, and so that, much, that, that one is certainly one of the ones that everyone is, is, is asking questions about yeah. at this point. Anything to add to that, John? Well, I think what people who were in the room have told me that the subject of those two days was basically process. It mirrored his January 6th committee testimony. Some of it was covered by lawyer-client privilege. I can't tell you that because that was privilege between, you know, my client Donald Trump and me. But um, a lot of it was, so you thought there was election fraud, what did you do? We gathered up allegations and we brought them to different courts and different bodies. And we were rejected in all of those places, dozens of them. And, um, and after that, that was our legal effort. And, you know, there's no crime in trying to get a body to certify alternate electors, especially when they say no. Um, Jim, what's another interesting thing about this is that multiple people have testified before the January 6th Select Committee that they told Donald Trump that there was no election fraud. So here's a smattering of that. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. He wanted to talk about that he thought the uh, the election had been uh, stolen or, or was corrupt and that there was widespread fraud. And I had told him that uh, our reviews had not shown that to be the case. I said something to the effect of, sir, we've done dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews, the major allegations are not supported by the evidence developed. We've looked at Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada. We're doing our job. Much of the info you're getting is false. So, Jim, will he be able to really use as his defense, I didn't know? Look, uh, it depends what... It depends what he said to other people, right? We, we're going to learn a lot from the indictment when it hits. I'm sure it's going to be a tight speaking indictment, just like the last one. And we'll learn, we'll probably see that folks had told him this. We'll probably see that he, you know, said, said, he didn't, said, said that he believed that he still won. But there's, you know, the question is, did he make an admission at some point in time to someone that he believed he lost the election? If that's the case... He's got real problems on that issue, for sure. Hey, Jim, do you have any theories right now on the status of Mark Meadows? We haven't seen him for a while. No, we've seen nothing of Mark Meadows. So I, I, don't, I don't have any theories on it. I, I, you know, we can, you know, maybe he's been talking to, the, to people. Maybe he's been part of the grand jury testimony. Um, you know, obviously he was part of the January 6th interviews. I, I, you know, and I, I don't know... I don't think any of us can know, but I think we'll find out real soon what's been going on with Mark Meadows. Evan, do you have reporting on that? Uh, we don't know. I mean, that's, I think the center of a lot of the speculation within the Trump circle, uh, they're certainly worried about it because they, they just have not heard any indication of exactly what he did uh, when he went in. All we know from his attorneys is that he told the truth. That's all that uh, we've heard from his legal team. And so the guessing game continues. Um, John, do you assume that people are cooperating? So that's an interesting concept because the assumption here is that people are going in and telling the truth. Um, you know, we consider cooperating if you're in a mob family and there's a code of silence and you break that and you're cooperating, that's an anathema. These are government officials, um, public servants who have been called in under oath. 
and presumably they're telling the truth, uh, which may or may not be good for Donald Trump if they were in meetings in offices where they said, okay, we know we lost, but how do we overturn this, even if it means you know, having people storm the Capitol or calling the vice president and asking him to conspire with us not to do his job. You're right. I need a new verb, not cooperating, just telling the truth is what you're saying. It's well, like considered cooperating. Yeah, and it, it is considered cooperating. But, um, you know, uh, cooperating is looked at in a criminal conspiracy as going against your criminal code. In this case, if these are people who took an oath to the United States government and they did something uh, with the president of the United States that they need to describe in a grand jury, they should tell the truth. Evan, and there's that's a, cooperating, it's cooperating. I, I got you. I, I totally get the distinction here. Um, Evan, so there's another story that's going to get a lot of play tomorrow, right. and that is Michigan's attorney general has charged 16 people with being fake electors because they falsely claimed that Donald Trump won Michigan in 2020. So what have you learned on this? Right. So these are uh, 16 people who were uh, part of this scheme to, to set up these uh, fake electors and claim that Donald Trump won their states, which, of course, he did not. Uh, in the case of Michigan, they actually tried to go to the state house to try to present themselves as Donald Trump electors. They were turned away by the police and they've been fi finally been charged by the, the state attorney general today uh, as part of this, uh, this investigation. We do not... Uh, you know, th th we do know that there are other states that are investigating similar schemes in Georgia and Arizona. So it's possible we'll see this. And of course, Jack Smith's own investigators have also been looking at this scheme. So you can expect that this is this might be just the beginning uh, of this story. Andrew, uh, we're out of time, but I want to give you one more bite of the apple. Your thoughts on this scheme? Well, I think the fake elector scheme has really become uh, the core of this uh, prosecution that we all expect will go forward in the next week or so. Uh, it's it's the absolute center of any sort of charge about defrauding the federal government. Uh, it could form the basis of a charge of 1,001 false statements. There's all kinds of ways that the fake elector scheme is going to be very relevant to any prosecution. So I think it's something we need to keep a very close eye on. Gentlemen, thank you very much for all the expertise. Okay, next, Tom Foreman is going to head to the magic wall to show us the many ways Donald Trump and his allies tried to stop Joe Biden from taking office in 2020 and how those schemes are coming back to haunt them. Tonight, new criminal charges in Michigan against 16 fake electors who tried to overturn their state's 2020 election results. CNN's Tom Foreman is at the magic wall with this and more for us. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you doing, Allison? This is really one of those interesting cases when you look at all of the different ways in which the team supporting Trump wanted to overturn this election. 16 charges, false electors in Michigan, fit well into the overall accusation that the former president, Donald Trump, and his supporters tried repeatedly to overturn the 2020 election. Seven states have come under the special counsel scrutiny over allegations of false electors, legislative plans to nullify the voting results, and or those phone calls from Trump seemingly pressuring election officials to take legal, fair votes away from Joe Biden and give them to Trump. What else was tried? Team Trump launched at least 62 efforts to have election results invalidated in the courts. All but one ended in defeat. When even the Supreme Court rejected a claim, Trump tweeted, the Supreme Court really let us down. No wisdom, no courage. You know, the special counsel has also been looking at a December 2020 Oval Office meeting in which the president and his team reportedly discussed seizing voting machines 
and declaring martial law to stop his defeat from becoming official. We know then Vice President Pence was under enormous pressure from Trump to block certification of the vote, even though Pence had no legal power to do that. And of course, we all saw the violent attack that came after Trump urged his followers to converge on the Capitol and told him to fight like hell as lawmakers were certifying the vote. For all of that, for all of those efforts, Trump's assessment about this latest news, he put it on social media. I have the right to protest an election that I am fully convinced was rigged and stolen. But, but, there is clearly a lot here that legal analysts think may have gone well beyond simply a protest. Allison. Tom, thank you for reminding us of all of those threads. Okay, joining us now, CNN political commentator Anna Navarro. We also have former Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, and former Special Advisor to President Obama and CNN political commentator Van Jones. Great to have all of you guys here. Um, Okay, Lieutenant Governor, everything that Tom just laid out there, okay? All evidence of a possible crime at, at... at least grossly inappropriate behavior. How do you explain why so many Republicans are still supporting Donald Trump at this point? I, I explained it as Stockholm syndrome a couple of days ago, right? I mean, he he like uh, kidnapped the Republican Party, abused us for years, and then all of a sudden his biggest uh, victims are now coming to court to protect him. Uh, that's all I can explain it with. Look, at the end of the day, Donald Trump has done uh, almost irreparable damage to the current Republican Party, and it's time for a GOP 2.0 to to see these electorates, which we're going to watch this same story play out in Georgia in a few weeks with Fonnie Willis and the Fulton County investigation. I'm I'm not certain of, but it feel likely. Uh, Look, these are great people probably in their communities and upstanding people that, that the President of the United States told them something and they believed them. And now it's going to train wreck their finances. It's going to train wreck some of their lives. And some of them may end up going to jail because of it. And yet, your former boss, the governor, Brian Kemp, he was just on CNN last night, and he was asked by Caitlin Collins if he would still support Donald Trump and work to get him elected if he were the nominee, and he says he will. Why would he do that after everything you've just laid out? Brian Kemp and I agree on a lot, but not that. Uh, I will never support Donald Trump. I can't not look my kids, my wife, my friends my supporters in the eyes and explain to them why I would ever think Donald Trump would make sense to lead anything. I wouldn't put Donald Trump in charge of a lemonade stand. And do you understand why Brian, why Governor Kemp would? Well, certainly Brian has been a great leader. And I think, you know, using Brian as an example, we should see these presidential candidates that are out there trying to flail around and and mince words and split hairs about Donald Trump. They ought to take Brian Kemp's advice and they ought to go take the weekend off and go look at what he did to beat uh, D- David Perdue in a, pr- in a primary by 52%. Remember, David Perdue was Donald Trump's best friend, mm. and he won by 52 points. And then he beat Stacey Abrams in, in, a, in a very uh, wide-open race. Um, Anna, speaking of the other uh, candidates who are running uh, for the Republican nomination, Jake Tapper sat down with uh, GOP Governor Ron DeSantis this afternoon, and he was claiming basically that the DOJ has been weaponized against Donald Trump. So here's the moment. Jack Smith has um, prosecuted Democrats, too. I mean, he prosecuted or at least was part of the prosecution of Senator Menendez, uh, Senator John Edwards. Are you saying that if he finds evidence of criminality, he should not charge Donald Trump anyway? What, What I'm saying is when you're going after somebody on the other side of the political spectrum, if you're stretching statutes to try to criminalize maybe political disagreements, That is wrong. Now, look, this is all speculation, but I think we've gone down the road in this country of trying to criminalize uh, differences in politics rather than saying, okay, you don't like somebody, 
then defeat them in the election rather than trying to use uh, the, the justice system. Anna, do you understand why Trump's GOP opponents are not seizing on his possible crimes? I remember that I'm watching this uh, as, a, as an American voter, but also as a Floridian. And so when I hear him talk about criminalizing agencies and how wrong it is, I can only think about my friends who own the R House, the drag brunch in Wynwood, Florida, that are getting dragged to court and that are being criminalized, that are trying to get take their liquor license away. Ron DeSantis has weaponized his agencies against that little drag brunch in Wynwood, Florida. He's weaponized his agencies and passed legislation against Disney, the largest employer in Florida. So for him to sit there talking about how wrong it is to criminalize and weaponize government agencies against people who disagree with you is the height of hypocrisy to such a level that I just hope somebody, somebody confronts him with that in the debate. And I think it's part of the reason why he has lost some points, because Republicans realize that weaponizing government, passing legislation against the likes of Mickey Mouse is wrong. Even Republicans like Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Van, your thoughts on all of this? Well, I I think what's weird is that um, people act like we're uh, going so hard on Trump. Like, can you imagine if a bunch of Muslims had attacked a joint session of Congress, if, if Ilhan, Ilhan Omar had said, this is wrong and gave a big speech and 10,000 Muslims, she would be in jail right now. She would be walking around, running for president, giving interviews. So, yeah, there is a two-tiered system of justice. And Donald Trump is benefiting from it, the fact that he's a free man right now. So I just think it's the whole thing, this kind of pity party that, that he's throwing for himself, you know, the ultimate snowflake, you know, candidate. Uh, when he's actually being treated with kids' gloves. This thing has taken way too long. If Black Lives Matter had attacked a, a joint session of Congress, they'd all be under the jail right now. If Obama had called for some mob, he'd be under Guantanamo right now. So what, what, I just don't know what he's talking about. And what do you think, Van, will happen if none of these things, as Tom Foreman just laid out, come to fruition, no, no trial happens before the 2024 election? Well, that's, that's Donald Trump's plan the whole time. That's why he, he threw his hat in the ring, you know, as soon as he possibly could, because he's, he has no defense except to p- pretend he's being persecuted. He has no defense at all, because it's clear as day that what he did was wrong. What do you think happens? If something doesn't structurally change with the focus of the Republican Party, here's what happens. Donald Trump wins the primary and loses the general, and we're back to having four more years of Joe Biden. Right now, is statistically, every stat you look at is the most beatable president, sitting president in the history of this country. And we're going to squander another opportunity to put conservative policies forward. You can't be Donald Trump light. You shouldn't be Donald Trump light. I think every candidate running for for president as a Republican ought to say the most presidential thing Donald Trump can do is walk away from this race, right? Doesn't seem likely, but it's the right thing to do. But he doesn't care about being an American. He doesn't care about being a Republican. He cares about his pride and his ego. And it's eating him up and it's going to eat up our party. And how about these fake electors? These 16 people, they were apparently RNC members. They were willing to masquerade or go along with, I mean, this is, of course, this is what they're accused of, um, but there does seem to be some evidence against how this scheme was going to unfold. What are we to make of this? I I continue feeling like I'm watching uh, Scandal, the show, on a loop. And the things you, the plots are just... The kind of things that not even Shonda Rhimes could come up with because there's, it's just so it's such insanity. But it, it was happening in so many different places. And what's sad is that none of it is going to matter. Why? He's now 
Because, um, because it's baked into the cake, because they think that Donald Trump is being victimized, because frankly, Ron DeSantis is not making the sale, because it turns out he's a big paper tiger. Mm-hmm. And so there's no alternative to Donald Trump, right? Chris Christie's not an alternative to Donald Trump when it comes to conservative voters. I mean, most of the, you know, the people on that stage are just not breaking through with the exception of Tim Scott, who's got a glimmer of hope. But Ron DeSantis has been a failure. And he's not failing because the corporate media, as he calls it, is attacking him. No, he's failing because he's been a bad candidate. He's failing because he's not articulating the positive vision for America that he discussed that he was going to do in that interview. Instead, all he does is a verb, a noun, and woke. <laughs> and that becomes very exhausting. And that becomes very lacking creativity. And it bores the electorate. And he's just coming across as a vindictive, thin-skinned, awkward, bobblehead <laughs> of a bad candidate who Republicans are not willing to let go of Trump for to hold on to that other rope. On that note, friends, thank you very much for your perspectives. Great to talk to you tonight. All right, and coming up next, the man who has covered every big story around the globe for more than 50 years. My old friend Geraldo Rivera is here to talk about all of today's news and life after Fox. Stick around, Geraldo's next. You've watched his reporting and his talk shows for more than 50 years, though he doesn't look a day over 40. (laughs) Joining me now is award-winning journalist and former talk show host, Geraldo Rivera. He just quit Fox after two decades, and this is his first interview on CNN in 15 years. Hi, friend. It seems so short a time. (laughs) Yes. It's great to see you. It's great to see you, too. One of my favorites when you were at Fox, and I've been watching you here, and you're doing a great job. Thank you, and likewise to you. intelligence, so cool. Oh, thanks, Roderick. Great, great, feels great to be here. It feels great to see you. And so we'll get into all things Fox in a minute, but the news gods have been busy tonight, so I want to start with the news. So Donald Trump has received a target letter from the special counsel, Jack Smith, as you know, who is investigating uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election, January 6th attack on the Capitol. How do you think all of this will play against the backdrop of a presidential election? I think that every charge, every news conference by the Justice Department, every move to prosecute him will be more votes in the Republican primary. I think that they strengthen his hand. They make his nomination ever more certain. Even were he to be convicted and go to jail, he would be elect. Uh, he would be uh, win the primary, the Republican primary, even as a federal prisoner. And I think that one of the reasons he wants to be president is so he can pardon himself because his conviction will be certain. And why is that? Why would he win the Republican nominee as a federal prisoner? Because there, because you can be president even though you are in prison, as long as you are 35 years old and you've been a resident of the United States for 14 years, a natural-born citizen, he can be president. You know, well, why, I, I mean, in other words, why, why does that make him a good candidate oh, for Republican it, it, voters? Why Republican voters want Donald Trump to be president, I think, is a, he had a pretty good presidency. I mean, in fairness, he had a pretty good presidency vis-a-vis China, vis-a-vis uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, the the uh, China, in terms of the uh, the, uh, the 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 tax, uh, the, uh, the the taxes on Chinese goods coming yeah, into tariffs, this country, yeah. tariffs. Uh, so I think that sure, he's... but there were some issues. Oh, but Russia, Russia was phony. No, no. I mean, COVID. 
I don't think that he got high marks for how he handled I, I COVID. That he he separated uh, families at the border. He did well, lots of things that people really soured on. And not well, to mention all of the toxicity in terms of enemy of the state of journalists and mocking handicapped reporters. I mean, things like that that people to- did tire of. Toxicity is a different issue than electability. And many Republican primary voters are so pissed off at everything that they want the guy that represents disgruntlement. They want the guy who represents their grievances or their perceived grievances. They want the guy, even though he's a billionaire, who they relate to. And I, I, I believe that he is a very, very potent candidate. And, you know, I, I don't think he's fit to be president, personally. I think that he stabbed the Constitution of the United States in the back. I think he put the, the, his personal ambitions above the, the fate of the nation. I think he's a, 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 a terrible, selfish person. Even though for decades he was a friend of mine and I watched a lot of this stuff happening, I watched also, on the other hand, Russia, 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 when they went after him for something that did not exist. And, and, and he seems to have been really uh, scapegoated, and that is certainly the perception of Republican voters. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've said that though you were friends for decades, uh, January 6th was your breaking point. Yes. And so you will use your voice to to try to prevent him from ever becoming president again. Right. But he is, as you know, at 56 in the polls against all of the other Republican candidates. So what's your plan? Well, that's an excellent. I, I'm, when I said I would use all my energy and uh, all my brain power to, to deny him uh, the presidency, I didn't say I would be effective. I didn't say that I could uh, sway anybody. I don't know that anybody, uh, you know, listens or heeds my advice. I'm just telling you, I know him pretty well. And what he did post-election was so outrageous. It was so unpatriotic. It was so anti-American. It may be so selfish, so narcissistic uh, that I believe that he has forfeited the right to be president. He is not fit, character-wise, to be president of the United States. Why do you think the other GOP hopefuls aren't getting as much traction? Or- I don't know. Ron DeSantis, you, you know, who would want to hang out with him? I was just thinking that when I was watching him with, uh, you know, Jake Tapper's interview. It was a great interview. But you're watching DeSantis and he's, he's like, the, like the bully guy in school, you know, going after every Disneyland and trans people. And, uh, you know, come on, shut up. You know, woke, woke, woke. I'm so sick of, uh, you know, DeSantis saying woke. I don't even know what woke means anymore. And, and, and you know, the ones I like, like Chris Christie... I, he's getting what one two percent in the polls. I like him. He's robust. He's he's told uh, Donald Trump that uh, let's go out in the backyard and uh, let's have it out. Uh, you know he's a he, he's a flamboyant guy. He was a great governor of New Jersey. He was a, a pro-life governor in a very very blue state, showing his electability. If it wasn't for that damn bridge gate, I think that he would have already been the presidential candidate, at least, maybe president of the United States already. Uh, but I like him. But, uh, you know, the conversation, Asa Hutchinson is the only other one uh, who's, uh, who says that this, uh, you know, Trump's machinations with, uh, you know, January 6th and so forth were, are disqualifying. But Asa Hutchinson, you know, former governor of Arkansas, he's not going to go anywhere. No one's going to say, OK, I'm going to vote for that guy because he's got a drawl. You know, it's not going not gonna to happen. We have so much more to talk about. I do want to hear all about your exit from Fox, as well as how you think Fox will handle Donald Trump this time around. And if anything's changing, hold that thought. 
Okay. Hold that thought. Okay. We're going to take a very quick break, and we're going to hear more from Geraldo when we come right back. And we are back with Geraldo Rivera. So, hi, Geraldo, yes. hi. Great to have you. So, you exited two weeks ago from Fox? Is it? Has it been it, that I long? Think so. <laughs> I think so. Was it July 4th? Seems like just yesterday. Was that your last day, July 4th? June 30th. Okay, so maybe a little yeah, bit more. Pretty close, pretty close. How are you feeling? I feel liberated. I, I feel free, free at last. And I, why? Why did you feel hamstrung there or well, I, you know, you are muzzled. Corporate discipline muzzles people, even if, uh, you know, self-muzzlement, if that's a word. Uh, I, I felt... You know, first of all, they denied me permission to go on many shows over the course of my long career there. They have a very rigid, very controlled But what were they afraid of? of? Discipline. I mean, what were they afraid well, of? Well, my flamboyance and, uh, you know, saying things like I said about uh, President, former President Trump, you know, that he knifed the Constitution in the back. Uh, when you have that as your attitude, that's your, you know, position, and you're in a conservative uh, milieu... Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty noxious to to folks who ha believe a certain way. I mean, it's not my belief. I am nominally a Republican person, but I'm pro-choice, pro-immigration reform, pro-gun control. I hope to devote a, a lot of my post career life to working with the developmentally disabled. You know, I have lots of uh, charity work that we do dating back, you know, half a century to my exposés. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on, but it was it was a very it's a very rigid, very controlled atmosphere where everyone answers to, to management and management doesn't allow freewheeling. They, they have a message. They send the talent out to do an interview. If it's a big story in the New York Times or this or that, they pick their spot. And they're very strategic in that regard, very disciplined. Conservatives are much more disciplined than liberals. Liberals are all over the place. You know, like here, you, I can say anything you want. Hey. Feel free. In fact, yes, you can. But, but basically uh, what I have heard is that you started to feel that they didn't have your back. They didn't have your back. Again, they, they sided with the people who are not fact-based at Fox or the, sort of the out, more of the outrage machine. Is that fair? I, I don't make judgment calls like that about other people's careers and where they put themselves. There's just some people there that I liked and some people there I didn't like. And the people I, some of the people I didn't like, a handful of them, there's only a handful, they had more sway than I did. I was, you know, uh, the black sheep of the family. And when I stepped out of line, uh, you know, I, I was suspended three times on the five in several months. But what months. did you do that was so bad? Well, for instance, complaining about Tucker Carlson when he had the outlandish theory that January 6th was staged. And it was government operatives and it was a, you know, it was, the whole thing was a, a theatrical performance. It was total bullshit. And I said it. I said it in those words. It was published and I got suspended right right there. That that when I when I said of uh, one of the cast members that he was a uh, insulting punk, I was suspended again. I, what about the provocation that led up to it? I don't want to complain about it. Fox, I took their money for 23 years. They were, you know, uh, they did everything that they had to do in terms of the business relationship. I, they, I went to Fox because of 9-11. 
I went to Fox because a lot of people that I knew got killed on 9-11. I wanted to be a war correspondent. Roger Ailes, our former boss, said I could be a war I correspondent. Remember. I, remember, I, went, I remember the day you started. I remember how excited Roger was. And he said, I hired Geraldo Rivera because when Geraldo's on screen, I stop what I'm doing and I turn up the volume. I'll never forget that Roger said that. And it's true. I mean, obviously, you are a compelling reporter. And so that's why I... That's why I'm asking you this, because I think it says something larger about Fox. And here's my question. Did the $787 million uh, penalty that they had to pay to Dominion, will that change how they do business? Will that change their relationship with facts? Well, I think that the $787,000 million, million dollars, thousand, thousand, uh, is a big I'm sorry. They, they really understood that what they did was really so far off the norm that they had to apologize in a way that only corporations apologize with money. So will they do something different? Will they handle facts differently now? I don't. First of all, I I don't necessarily accept the premise because I think there's a lot of good reporters at Fox. I do too. And you were one of them. Thank you. And 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 there are certainly reporters there, but there are also people who play loose and fast with the facts. I just think that the embarrassment from what happened on their their January 6th, post-January 6th coverage, the embarrassment that they suffered as a corporation will and already has affected the way they present it. Yes, they're still heavily opinionated in the evenings. That is true. But I think that they would never, I I would hope, now say uh, something just to get an audience. I don't think it's that raw, their ambition anymore, now that they've been you know, really uh, scolded in a way that corporations, they still have, they have stockholder lawsuits. They have, uh, you know, the other, the Smartmatic. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, whoever and the other guy that was uh, wandering around on January 6th that they said was the ringleader. Yeah, yes, that, yeah. that and, and how do you think they'll cover Donald Trump this time around? Do you think that they, well, I mean, that's I, the problem and that's the litmus test. I mean, at times they seem to have soured on him, but it seems like maybe that time is over. Well, they're, they're, they're Republicans generally, the Republicans in power, we're watching it as people flock to Trump's banner now, are ruthlessly pragmatic. All they care about is beating Joe Biden. All establishment Republicans care about. All Republicans generally care about is making sure that a Democrat, a liberal Democrat, a taxing liberal Democrat is not in the White House, you know, come uh, November of 24. Uh, It is, I think the, the, penalty, the the scolding that they got from the public really woke them up. And I, I hope that they go forward. You know, the conservatives deserve their own scene, their own network. That's fine. They just have to be more, as you say, fact-based. I, they have to be more professional. They have to be less partisan. But who knows? We'll see. Robert, great to have you Oh, Alice, I love this. Great to see you. you. Thank Thanks you so much, much for coming in. My pleasure. In. Thank you. All right, next, the investigation into the Gilgo Beach serial killer is now reaching across the country, where investigators are looking next. New developments tonight in the investigation of the Gilgo Beach serial killings. Suspect Rex Uerman bought two Las Vegas timeshare condos, according to property records obtained by CNN. Now, Las Vegas police say they are reviewing unsolved cases in their area for any possible connections. And authorities in South Carolina are talking to neighbors of Huerman's brother. Investigators towed away a vehicle belonging to the brother last week. 
According to tax records, Rex Heuerman owns two, oh, owns property, I should say, in South Carolina. The suspect is on suicide watch in a Long Island jail. He's charged with three counts of first-degree murder for the killings of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Stay with CNN for the latest on this story. And thanks so much for watching CNN tonight. I'll see you here tomorrow night. Our coverage continues now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.